I just thank God for his presence here on this morning. You can just sense it. People are hungry. People want to worship. People want to praise. I kind of felt intimidated coming behind all of this praise and worship that's gone forth. And so, Father, we just honor you here on this morning. Before we go any step further, we thank you for your son. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for your presence here on this morning. Okay, before we um, get into the word, I kind of want to share what inspired what I'm preaching on this morning. If you've been coming on Wednesdays, we have been watching this video series by Bill Johnson. And the title of the series is God is Good. And through this God has really started to speak to me about one thing in particular, and that's what we're going to talk about on this morning. So if you would, go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6, we're going to start reading at verse 13. Now while you're turning, just to give a little background about the book of Hebrews, there's number one, there's questions about who actually wrote the book. Uh, many people believe it was the Apostle Paul, but there are elements of the book that make you think someone else actually wrote it. And I've even heard it speculated that it was actually a female who may have written the book of Hebrews. <laughs> Something to think about. <laughs> Shebrews, okay. <laughs> I'm going to give you all the credit for that one, Pastor. <laughs> so the writer of Hebrews, <laughs> Shebrews, wow, <laughs> was writing to Christians here, and the early Christians at this time, most of them were Jewish. And so these Jewish believers were struggling because they had anticipated that Christ would return, but he had not returned yet. Some were considering returning to the law because of the circumstances that they were facing at that time. They were facing great persecution. And so they thought about returning to old Judaism minus Jesus Christ. The author of this letter, if you really study the book of Hebrews, he or she goes through these steps to show that what they have as Jewish believers is superior to what they came out of because Jesus actually fulfilled what they had just come out of. This morning, we're going to go straight to Hebrews 6. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. And starting with verse 13, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability 
immutability, say that three times fast, of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now there is so much in those few scriptures, but we're going to try to focus on one point in particular. So to kind of set it up, let's look at a, the first few verses. It says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Now that word promise, it means to announce that one is about to do or furnish something. How many have made promises and kept them? I'm not going to ask the other question. God made a promise to Abraham. And it says here, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Back then it was uh, common to say, I swear by God, or I swear by the living God, until Jesus came along and then he said, don't do that. He said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. But we do that today. You hear, I swear to God I didn't do that. Or I swear on my mother's grave. Not a good thing to do. But it's common to do that. It says here, because God could swear by no one greater than himself, he swore by himself. In other words, he was putting his own name and reputation on the line when he made these promises to Abraham. Now, what this scripture, especially verse 14, let's read that real quick saying, surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. Notice it doesn't just say, surely I will bless you. It says, surely blessing, I will bless you. He's reinforcing the fact that not only am I going to bless you, I'm going to bless your socks off. I'm going to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. Remember when Abraham, all that he went through just to receive Isaac, just for Isaac to come. At the age of 100, he has a baby. Think about that. I'm 54 years old and I can't imagine having a baby at this point in my life. <laughs> and at the age of 100, he does. Surely blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply you. Because what God was telling him is that though you're going to have this one child, you're not going to stop having children. <laughs> Through that one seed, God built a whole nation of people. But here is the thing. It's not just limited to the Jewish people. It's it's opened up to all of us, Jew and Gentile. If the Bible tells us that if you are Christ, 
Then are ye Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. You should be praising God on that, thinking about what God promised Abraham. So God did much more than Abraham could ever have imagined. It says in verse 15, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge, to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. So let's deal with this word immutability. In some translations, you probably have the word unchangeable. In other words, God does not change. Now, really, what, what does that mean? That God does not change. If I showed you a picture of myself 20 years ago, and you compared it to the way that I look right now, what would you see? Change. I had a lot more hair back then. Now, looking at my youngest son, I didn't have quite that much hair. <laughs> we are affected by change because we are human beings. Not only are we human beings, we're fallen human beings. And through the wisdom of God, he subjected the creation to man. Therefore, we see change in the earth as well. Now contrast that with the God who does not change. Now here is what you got to think about. Again, Bill Johnson is talking about the fact that God is good. Now let that sink in. Imagine to, to you, what does it mean that God is good? Now here is the thing. That's a present tense statement. God is good. But here's what you need to think about. 2,000 years ago, God was good. 4,000 years ago, God was good. 10,000 years ago, God was good. A million years ago, God was good. Do you get the point? He does not change. Guess what? Ten years from now, he's going to be good. Twenty years from now, he's going to be good. Fifty years from now, he's going to be good. A million years from now, he's going to be good. He doesn't change. Now that has to sink in. I want that to sink in for you. In Malachi chapter 3, God told the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are still around. In other words, he was merciful back then and he will continue to be merciful. 
What else is God? He's eternal. He's omnipotent, meaning he has all power. He's omnipresent, which means he's present everywhere at the same time. He's omniscient, meaning he is, he knows all things. Not only is he those things, but he's also love. The Bible tells us God is love. He is joy. The Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The Bible tells us that he is peace. He says, he will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. And as Bill Johnson tells us, God is good. And so he's always been these things. He, he is those things currently, and he will always be omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, loving, joyful, peace, and good. Now, why is that important for us? Because this very same God, who is all of those things that I've just described, has set his love on you. Think about that. Let that sink in. How many have gotten a job because of someone they knew on the job. In other words, you had favor with someone that worked at that company. Well, the God of heaven who does not change, who is love, who is good, who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, has set his love on you. Which means you have favor. Think about it. I want that. We're going to pause here because I want you, I want each of us to let that sink in. Sometimes we embark upon studies like God is good and we hear certain things and we say amen and we say, oh yeah, that's good, that's good. But we never let that truth sink in. Because if we allow that truth to sink in, it would change how we think and how we live. So let it sink in. It says in verses 19 and 20, let's read that. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and and steadfast and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek look at what the writer of Hebrews is trying to do he or she is trying to persuade with all that they have that they have a better covenant they're a part of something much better much greater because he says, this hope serves as an anchor for the soul. The word anchor, that which gives support and stabilizes. When you have the understanding of the God that you serve 
and his love towards you and his favor towards you, it serves as an anchor of the soul. When you have that, do circumstances dictate God's favor toward you? Do other people and what they think about you dictate God's favor towards you? Does how you feel about you at any given moment change God's favor towards you? Do we always act like that? Now, why am I making this point? Because I believe we have entered a time of great opportunity, but also great warfare. And you can sense it in the atmosphere. How many know what I'm talking about? I believe God is ready to bring to pass what he has prophesied in his word and what he has prophesied. Pastor was talking about it earlier. What he's prophesied concerning Freedom Fellowship Church. Many of us as individuals have received prophecies that God wants to bring to pass, but there's a part that we play. He has not changed his mind concerning you. What he believed about you 20 years ago, he believes concerning you now. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew the mess you were going to get yourself into. He knew how stubborn you were going to be. And I, I got a new word in my vocabulary, vocabulary now. He knew how honorary you were going to be. He knew how some people would come to you and tear you down, tell you that you're nothing. He knew some of the things you were going to experience at the hands of other people that would break you down, make you feel worthless. He knew that. He anticipated, he saw all of that, and yet he still sent Jesus to die for you. Which means his heart towards you when he sent Jesus over 2,000 years ago has not changed. We got to let this sink in because of what is coming our way starting in the year 2020. Now, in order to really walk in the promises of God as laid out in his scriptures and those things that have been prophesied concerning this body of believers, there's an attitude that you need to have. Because it isn't just going to come to you. It would be great if it were that easy. God has made great promises down through the years to men and women of God. And they've realized those promises, but they did not realize them without a fight. So there's an attitude you need to have. So, Richard, play that audio clip, and I want you to listen closely to what this person is saying. You got a big park. You talk the 
talk about what you're going to do five years from now, ten years from now. But you do not wake up in the morning and work on it. Little young, little young whippersnappers going to tell me I'm going to take your spot. How? Don't tell me you're going to take my spot. You tell me how you're going to do it. I'm getting up at three. What time you getting up? Because you're going to have to stay up to beat me. You gonna have to stay up longer to beat me. You can't change the game to like fit your little life down your little stuff. Stop. up on that he said i got that dog in me now how many know what he's talking about when he says that every athlete especially should know what he's talking about he's talking about that fight that tenacious i will not give up kind of attitude it says i'm fighting till the end it says it's focused, it's determined, and it goes after God with all it has. It sacrifices what is needed to obtain the prize or to win. Look at your neighbor and ask him, you got that dog in you? You got that dog in you? I even heard some barking. Ha, oof. <laughs> How many have dogs in here? Have your dogs ever, you ever seen your dog get hold of a bone? And if you try to take that bone away from that dog, what happens? They, they never let it go and you might end up getting bit. You gotta have that dog. You gotta have that fight in you. You need to, the Bible, even though we're saved by grace, the same scripture tells us that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it's God that works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You gotta fight. You gotta fight. There are some biblical examples of individuals who had that dog. Abraham, Genesis chapter 18. God is about to go in and judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham knows that Lot is there with his family. And Abraham's going to do whatever he needs to do to save Lot and his family. 
So he approaches the living God and says, if there's 50 souls that are righteous in that city, will you spare the city? God says, yes. If there are 40, will you spare the city? Yes. And he whittles them down all the way to 10. And God says, yes. He was determined. I got to save Lot. That's my nephew. I can't let him go out. God, will you judge the righteous with the wicked? Will not the judge of the whole earth do rightly? See, Abraham had some understanding of who God is. See, that's important. You need relationship. You need connection. And that's not a one-time thing. I got saved, so I'm good. You want to see your prayers answered? Relationship. Relationship. Let me tell you, I said I do to my wife on July 23rd, 1988. If I stopped saying I do, how much do you think I would get from her in return? Not much at all. Because it's about relationship. It isn't just, well, I said I do to you 31 years ago. That ought to be enough for you. That would not go down. That would not work. In fact, I probably would not be standing before you right now. <laughs> Jacob had that dog. In Genesis chapter 32, he's about to go confront his brother. But before that, he has a dream, and he's wrestling with an angel. Now, God has made promises not only to Abraham not only to Isaac, but to Jacob. And Jacob has gone through some things, and now he's confronted with the angel of the Lord, and he's wrestling with the angel of the Lord. At some point, Jacob has some dog. You know why we know this? Because the scripture says that the angel told Jacob, let me go. If you can wrestle an angel to a point, that the angel is begging you to let go. You got some dog in you. But Jacob said, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And the angel said, you are no longer known as Jacob, but you are Israel because you have struggled and wrestled with both man and God and you have prevailed. That's that dog, y'all. That's that dog. The woman with the issue of blood in Luke chapter 8. She has this issue of blood, and according to Jewish law, she was not to come near anyone. In fact, anytime she went around, she had to scream, unclean, unclean, so no one would touch her. But yet, she heard about this man named Jesus. And she went against all protocol. Went in the midst of people. And there was a throng of people around Jesus. And all kind of people were touching him. But when she touched him, Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples are like, Jesus, are you kidding? 
You got hundreds of people around you. And you want us to tell you who touched you? The better question is, who isn't touching you? But see, there's touching, and then there's touching. And that woman with the issue of blood who went through the crowd to make her way to Jesus said, if I could but touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be made whole. And she was made whole. Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. She had that dog, y'all. But here's a story that I want us to, us to examine a little bit closer. Go to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15. Starting at verse 21. Matthew 15, 21, we're going to read down to verse 28. It says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon, or Tyre, which is probably the better pronunciation. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the, their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. Think about this. This woman, I believe in the book of Luke, you'll see her referred to as a Syrophoenician woman. She was a Gentile. She had no covenant with the living God, but she heard about Jesus. How do we know that? Because in verse 22, she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. She understood something. Not sure all that she understood, but she knew there's something special about this man. And she understood a little bit about what it meant to be a son of David. Now, she appeals to him for mercy. Why? Because her daughter is demon-possessed. Here is the thing, though. That despite her appeal, Jesus lets her know that I'm here for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I have not come to minister to the Gentiles. But she won't let go. She won't give up. After he shares that in verse 25, she looks at him, worships him and said, Lord, help me. He then says, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, how many of us, let's be real. If Jesus said to you, it's not good for me to take 
what belongs to the children, the children, the, the folk who live in the house, and throw it to you, a dog. How many of us would have got our feelings hurt? How many of us would have got an attitude? Come on now, let's be honest up in here. Come on, my wife, you know you would have got an attitude. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, somebody just said that might have brought the dog out of her. <laughs> That's right. Be like, who you think you are? I ain't no dog. Who you think you're addressing? That's the kind of attitude that many of us might have had. Or else, because some of us, of course, because of what we've gone through, having low self-esteem, might have just walked away and just, I'm not even worthy to get what the dogs get. But that wasn't her attitude. This was a smart woman. This was a clever, clever woman. She said, yes, Lord, you're right. But she remembered, in my observation, the children of the house have dogs, and the dogs eat what falls to the ground. Jesus marveled at this response. He was like, wow, that's faith. That's that dog kind of faith. That no matter what Jesus threw at her, she says, you're going to bless me before I walk away from here. You're going to give me what I came for. And the Bible says, from that very hour, her daughter was healed. That dog. That's right, give them praise. That's that dog. We got some people here who got that dog in them. Now, I might get in trouble for sharing this, but it's okay. How many watched the Bill Cosby show when Theo got in trouble and he'd say, I've been here before? <laughs> Pastor Harold. He's got that dog in him. If you knew some of the things he goes through just to get up here and not only just praise and worship with all of his heart and might, but then bring the fire every Sunday morning to preach God's word and we see people healed, saved, delivered, set free, he's got that dog in him. And lastly, my brother Jeff, <laughs> I got to get through this without crying. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Jeff got that dog, y'all. <sighs> Battling leukemia for the third time and more on fire for God than he's ever been. Shows up at the hospital, worshiping God in the hospital, writing songs in the hospital, praying for people and seeing them healed in the hospital, going through what he's going through at this present moment. 
Jeff's got that dog in him. We've got to have that dog. We've got to have that tenacious desire. Whatever promises that God has made to you personally, bring them to your memory right now. God has not changed his mind. We just established that he does not change. So what he promised you 20 years ago, he's still waiting to fulfill. Don't give up on God. You hold on until you receive what God has promised you. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 real quick. Ephesians 1 verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. How many is every? All. Nothing missing. Complete. You have that now. Here is the thing. We just got to access. Paul puts it this way. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. That word lay hold means to seize, to grab hold of, as to never let go and possess it forever. Lay hold. What's the message I'm trying to get across, across to you? Excuse me. The time for passive Christianity is over. It is over. Because guess what? The enemy is bringing the fight to you. Now, I'm from Chicago. All right, now. Got one witness in the house. If you're from Chicago... If someone steps to you, you don't just stand there. You step back. And if you ain't got no room to step back, then you make room. Not by stepping backwards, but by pushing back. It's time for us to start pushing back against the devil. So that we can lay hold of the promises that God has made to us. You got that dog. You know why I know you got that dog? 
Because the Spirit of God dwells in you, and He put that dog in you. You just got to let that dog come up. You got to let that dog rise to the top. Now, lest anyone think wrongly about what I'm saying, that does not mean go out and be rude to people and brag about who you are. And That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this kind of dog wins the fight on their knees in their prayer closet. This kind of dog goes before God and says, I'm not going to let go, God. I'm not going to stop, God, until you bless me. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that kind of dog that when the enemy comes against you, you come back with the promises of God. Because remember, you know what? I did not explain this, but I want to explain it now. Go back to Hebrews. I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 18. It says that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. The two immutable things. Number one, God has told us he does not change. His nature does not change. That's the first thing that is immutable is his very nature. Number two, from his nature comes his word. So everything he speaks will come to pass. In Isaiah, it says, he says, my word does not return to me empty or void, but it accomplishes what I sent it out to do. So when you as a child of the Most High confront the enemy, you confront him with the word, the sword of the spirit. That's your weapon. That's your weapon. And that's how you overcome the enemy. You rehearse the promises of God. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet.